The title of this talk is actually Everyone's Vocation to Love, and it is going to be about relationships. But what we're basing it on is a book written by Edward Shree. Some of you may have heard of him or may have even had this book. And uh, his book is based on a book written by St. John Paul II when he was the Archbishop of Krakow all the way back in 1960. And it was a book called Love and Responsibility. That book is, is due to become a classic someday in philosophy, really. But what Edward Shree has done, Edward Shree also works with young people, okay? He's, uh, he has his own ministry, his own uh, school that he runs out in, down in Denver. But he's worked with uh, college students for many years. And what he has done is he's taken the, the uh, deep philosophy from John Paul II and he's, he's pared it down to where the average person can understand it. And that's what's in this book, uh, Men, Women, and the Mystery of Love. So um, what we're going to talk about tonight is really based on the first few chapters of this book. But I want to encourage you to buy the book. You can even get this on Kindle and form your own little study circles about it or something. You know, form some groups where you read the book and you just share about it because there's so much more in here than we're going to be able to cover tonight. It's and you'll have a handout at the end that will even have the information about this book on it. So. so first we begin by thinking about friendships, because that's where relationships starts, right? So what makes a good friend? What kind of characteristics does a good friendship have? Loyalty. Say again. Honesty. Trust. See, you know what makes a good friendship, right? And I would say, by the end, really what matters is those common values that you share. Uh, it's more than just a passing thing. You know, you really have a deep connection with a, a mutual friend, or with a good friend. Um, you respect confidences. You care about each other. You're aware of the things that are important to one another, right? Well... You're going to talk about the first two kinds of friendship. There are three kinds of friendship. Okay. John Paul II went all the way back to Aristotle, and he used, he wanted to describe three types of friendship. So that's the way we're going to base this tonight. We're going to talk about three types of friendship. And the first is what he called a friendship of use or utilitarian friendship. Now, none of these are bad, okay? It's just that they are different they're based on different things, and this is what, that's where the emphasis is. A utilitarian friendship, the basis of the friendship, the foundation of the friendship is some kind of mutual benefit, okay? Both people are getting some sort of a benefit from it. Now, in addition to that, they might like each other. They might get to know each other a little bit. They might uh, care for each other even very deeply. But the basis of the friendship is that mutual benefit. And if the mutual benefit goes away, for whatever reason, most likely the friendship will dissolve. Okay? That's the first type. The second type is called a pleasant friendship. In a pleasant friendship, um, the foundation of the relationship is pleasure. 
It's something that they both like to do together. It's usually an activity that they like to do together. For example, it could be they both like to surf, okay? And they meet each, you know, once a week and just go surfing and they really enjoy that activity, okay? Or maybe they both like the Padres, you know, and they go see the Padres. They have season tickets and they go to the Padres games. See, and they, they, as they're doing this, they're getting to know each other and they care about each other and maybe they, uh, you know, if they're adults, they know each other's kids and all kinds of things. But the basis for that friendship is that mutual love of the Padres, <laughs> okay? And if one of them moves away and he's not going to the Padres games anymore, then they might share, you know, they might send Christmas cards to each other once a year, but that relationship's probably going to dissolve. So, your turn. Okay. And then we get to the third kind, which is what, what they called virtuous friendship. And a virtuous friendship, we're not talking just about virtue, but we're talking about two people who enter into a relationship and there's really genuine concern and care that I really care about what's good for him. We have a common commitment to what's good for the other. So it's a mutual commitment to what's good for the other. And it will help us to grow in virtue and we will become better as people. And it's gonna be really nourishing and enriching to our lives. So are the three kinds of friendship clear in your head? The three different kinds? Okay, because we're going to sort of describe some relationships now, and we want you to tell us whether you think they're a utilitarian relationship, a mutual pleasure relationship, or a real virtuous friendship. Okay. So we'll start with the first one. And in all of these cases, these are true things, okay? These are people we either knew, we heard about, or we're involved with. The names are changed to protect the innocent, okay? <laughs> so, so while I was still working for a spay war, I met this fellow who lived, he worked with me, okay? And uh, we lived up in the Rancho Bernardo area, and he lived in Poway, and... Um, he began to, let's, let's form a carpool, okay? And um, so we had this carpool, and as we, you know, we would ride into work every single day, and we got to know each other pretty well. And in fact, um, you know, we had a lot of conversations, learned about his kids, about his family. He learned about our kids and our family. And, um, you know, I can remember at one point, he told me his wife was trying to become a writer, and um, and he wasn't Catholic, and there was this um, this movie that I had seen about some some Franciscan that did some great stuff, you know, to help the Jews during the World, Second World War. And his wife wanted to write a story that was related to that, so I managed to get him a copy of that video, and he was she was able to watch it, and she got a lot out of that. And then she went ahead and wrote her book, and. And then he found out that one of our kids was interested in collecting rocks, and he just happened to be a, a, a rock hound, you know. So he got him one of those little things that could um, uh, polish the rocks. So these were great things, you know, that were going on in the relationship. But the foundation, well, what do you think the foundation of that relationship is? What kind of a, what a how would you describe that friendship based on what we said earlier? 
Let's let you tell us. Hmm? Somebody said pleasure. What are you saying? Utilitarian. Okay, why, why do you say utilitarian? Because if it wasn't for the carpool, we wouldn't know each other. And who said pleasure? Somebody said pleasure. Why'd you say pleasure? Why'd you say pleasure, Sean? So you think the kids and everything and, and work in common and all that would have constituted pleasure. Well, the gentleman over here is correct. It was more of a utilitarian friendship because eventually the carpool dissolved and we started to take the bus. And even though we still worked together, we didn't really talk to each other too much. And, and then since I retired, I don't think I've heard from him since. So that was just a utilitarian friendship. So you were right. The next one is a woman that I knew in Virginia. And she lived across the street from me, and we shared a lot. We, we had mutual babysitting. We drove and carpooled to church activities together. Um, we, we participated in Engaged Encounter together. We were a team and worked together on Engaged Encounter. I would call her regularly, sometimes daily when our kids were little, and we would always be there for each other uh, when we needed a, a friendly ear. We shared our faith journey. She probably was a person that challenged me to grow more than anybody in my life except for my husband. So we later moved to San Diego, and they ended up moving to Wisconsin. So what kind of a friendship was that? Yeah, that was a virtuous relationship. And the thing that's interesting is, you know, if she came back into my life today, in fact, she did. She called me today. Out of the blue. I had just written this thing, and she called me today out of the blue. But, but there's a connection there that can never die. You know, she could come into my life again after not seeing me for four years, and it would be like time had stopped. We would still be right where we were before. That's a virtuous friendship. She always challenged me to be the best I could be. Okay, you're two for two. <laughs> Let's try this one. There was a woman, we were doing these relationship skills workshops, and there was a woman at, that was at one of them that, um, you know, she was attending, she was really interested in it, and one night she asked us to meet with her privately about her dating relationship. So she started to tell us about this, this uh, relationship she had with this man, and um, they had met through a dance studio, and... Um, they often participated in those dance competitions, you know, so they were really into that stuff big time. But what she was telling us, she said it's very hard to address any, any um, frustration that she was having in this relationship with this guy. That's why she wanted to talk to us. So what kind of a relationship would you call that one? Mutual pleasure, exactly. And it turned out that... Um, you know, the rest of the story was that the scal realized that um, that was all they had in common was the, the dancing. And uh, the guy wasn't treating her very well, and she ended up breaking up with him and just moving to another state. So I guess that's a happy ending. Okay, I'm going to call this couple Jeff and Julie. 
And Jeff met Julie at a music festival. They were both musicians, and they were playing at this music festival in the summer. And Jeff thought Julie was really interesting and fun. He had great times with her. And Julie was just enamored with the fact that Jeff was so motivated about the music and so talented and working so hard to get his music career off the ground. And they just had really had a lot of fun together that summer. What kind of relationship was that? Mutual pleasure. The joy they found in the music. You know, that was what brought them together. Now, Jeff and Julie ended up getting married. But because that's the foundation of their relationship, they've been struggling throughout their marriage because they can't get that deeper meaning going between them. It's still just mutual pleasure. You guys are really well here. You're just uh, knocking them all off. Yeah, they were... They were musical prodigies. <laughs> now we're going to consider a couple we'll call John and Mary. John is a very traditional Catholic, and Mary wasn't Catholic, and in fact she'd been away from the church, any kind of a church, for a long time. They have uh, many discussions about church and about what they believe. They enjoy each other's company. They share many interests. So they enjoy things like music, baseball, surfing. John prays for Mary regularly and considers her viewpoint seriously. Mary actually attends church with John occasionally, and she really does appreciate his faith. What kind of relationship is that one? Who said virtuous? Why did you say virtuous? Hmm? Oh, because they genuinely concern have concern for each other's. Um, uh, yeah. Because <laughs> they have a genuine concern for each other's spiritual growth or faith or whatever you want to call it. Something intangible, right? Okay, that's exactly right. And in fact, John and Mary have been married a long time. And 42 years. Yeah, 42 years. <laughs> Mary's a little out of control sometimes. <laughs> I said the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Okay. Where are we now? The last one, what did we skip? Is that all of them? Okay, we did them all. What I do want to talk about, though, is sometimes, especially when you're involved in church activities a lot, you can believe that there is a virtuous friendship when really it's a mutual pleasure foundation to your relationship. You can really enjoy going to the activities and the events together, but that doesn't mean that just because they're spiritual activities and events that you have a virtuous friendship. See? Um, 
And I, I've seen that happen to people. We've seen it happen even in our own family where there's confusion. And then what happens if one person maybe has a faith crisis and is away from the church? If the foundation is just that they enjoyed all these church activities together, the other person isn't going to have very much patience with helping their partner get through a faith crisis or maybe even standing by them when they're wandering away from the church. Does that make sense? But because it's a church activity, we think it's a virtuous friendship because it's spiritual, right? But that may not be so. So the reason that we're bringing up these three types of relationships, again, they're not bad in themselves. A utilitarian one is not that bad. I mean, it's not bad. The pleasure one is not that bad. But you have to recognize that the... um, The utilitarian and the pleasant friendships are both fragile. And that's because of the foundation of those relationships. You know, if if it's a pleasant thing, the thing that's bringing them pleasure can go away in a heartbeat. You know, I mean, let's say say they both enjoy... I mean, you've you've probably all seen that movie about that, that gal that fell off the mountain or whatever, you know, <laughs> the ski person, you know. <laughs> they both love to ski, and then if one of them has some accident and she can't ski anymore, the other one, is he going to leave her or not? Or is there more to the relationship than that mutual pleasure, you see? Um, and the same way with the utilitarian relationship you know if you both you're both working on something maybe you're both really into pro-life stuff you know and you're both out there marching and you're you're at those abortion clinics and you're doing all this stuff together but that's all you've got between you and then one decides to move on and do something else there's nothing left you see so and and the way you can recognize whether the relationship is on one of these other foundations, is um, you start to feel very insecure about the relationship. You realize that that you might have differences. You might have, you know, like that one woman that was talking to us about she had these frustrations with the way this guy was treating her, but she couldn't even talk to him about that. Because if you start to rock the boat, it's going to break, you see. Something's going to happen. So if you're not in a truly virtuous relationship where you're both looking out for each other's growth, it becomes very hard to be yourself. You see? That's why we're bringing this up, and that's why this framework is so important. Um, Okay. And recognize that the majority of your relationships in your life are going to be either utilitarian or relationships of mutual pleasure not very many are going to get to that level of the virtuous friendship. And that's okay. What's not okay is to enter into marriage with someone who's not a virtuous friendship because it won't last. It won't, it won't withstand the pressures. Okay? So that's the first thing we want to address to get you thinking about what's going on in your relationships. The second thing we want to talk about tonight is what draws us to each other? What attracts us to other people? I mean, we can be attracted to another person in an instant. As soon as you see them, you're you're just drawn to them for some reason, right? 
or it may develop over time. Maybe you've known this person a long time, and over time you just find yourself more and more drawn to them. Both of those are valid ways of being attracted to another person. Um, and, and one isn't better than the other. Sometimes those immediate attractions are really accurate. You just have to test them out. There, there are two basic types of, two basic ways that we are <laughs> attracted to one another, though. One is a physical attraction. We like the way they look. You know, we like the hair. We like the body. We like the, the mannerisms. We like the way they look. Okay? That's a, that, we call that sensual attraction. The other is emotional attraction. You're attracted to their personality. There's something about them. You define real masculinity in a particular way, and you meet this guy who just has those qualities, and you're drawn to them. Or you meet the woman who's caring and nurturing and loves kids and all the things that you associate with femininity, and you're drawn to her. That's sentimentality. Okay? So keep those in mind. Sensuality is to the physical. Sentimentality is to the male or, fem, uh, male or female personality traits. Okay, so we'll talk about a little bit more depth on sensuality. Sensuality is not bad again, okay? It's not a, it's not a bad thing. It's exactly what attracts us to one another, okay? We're initially attracted by the physical and the emotion, we'll get into the emotional in a second, but the problem is it's meant to attract us to a person who happens to have those attributes, not just to the attributes. You get it? Yes. What, if, what, if, uh, what about relationships where you're kind of forced to have a connection with someone that really you really don't like, such as a family member or a coworker? where you have to go along and co you know get along with this person but you may not have that attraction on either level that's okay that can be a utilitarian relationship no problem you know you're not you don't have to fall in love with that person you know i mean you just have to work with them <laughs> you can coexist you can be a good christian you know treat them hmm? you could be a good neighbor to them you know um but what I'm talking about is, is a person you really are attracted to on a physical level. And the problem is if all you are attracted to are their parts, <laughs> to, you know, then you got a problem, all right? That can easily become either utilitarian or a pleasant friendship, all right? One of these two friendships. You need to get beyond that before it's going to be any kind of actual real love. Um, so we need to be able to see beyond the sensual attraction and look at the person and the relationship as it really is. So the person, the reality of the person, but also the reality of the relationship. And Peggy's going to give us a good analogy here on this one. Well, it's, not my, it's not my analogy, it's Edward Sree's analogy. Forgive me if you've read the book and you know the analogy, but he talks about to help people understand how to be attracted to beyond just the characteristics, just the sensual response, he talks about going into a room where there's a lot of sculptures. And the sculptures are made out of chocolate. And they are made out of all kinds of chocolate. White chocolate, dark chocolate, milk chocolate, you know, 
beautiful sculptures. But as you walk in the room, and you love chocolate, okay? <laughs> and as you walk in the room, your senses are just filled with the smell of the chocolate. It's almost like it's your salivary glands going because this, this is just such an overwhelming experience of chocolate, right? Well, people can respond in two ways. One person could walk in and have that sensual experience of the chocolate and then realize, oh my gosh, these sculptures of chocolate are beautiful sculptures. And all of a sudden, that first reaction to the chocolate has become an appreciation of something deeper than just the chocolate. Or you could walk into the room and smell the chocolate and have that salivating reaction and just want to eat the chocolate and never even pay any attention to the fact that the sculptures are there or they're beautiful. You know, you don't even see them. All you want is to eat the chocolate. That's the difference, okay? Those attractions are meant to draw us to an appreciation of something much deeper. And sometimes we get stuck in just the reaction to the physical. If we don't harness those sensual desires and really look at them and see what's going on, we can easily be fooled. And we can easily think that the relationship has more depth than it does. Okay, so now we want to go to sentimentality. That's the emotional reactions that we have to the feminine or masculine gender qualities of the other person. This is probably more problematic than the sensual attractions because I think it's a little more subtle. And it's a part of love. Sentimentality is absolutely a part of love, but, but it isn't love, you know? Think, I want you to think about your favorite movie. For guys, think about your favorite female character in a movie. Girls, think about your favorite male character in a movie. The person that you just react to, you know? You see, you can have that sentimental reaction to a character in a movie or in a book, you know? They're not even real. And we're having that kind of a sentimental attachment to them. So that's the problem with sentimental attachments. John Paul II says they can actually push us towards over-exaggerating the other person's value. Because remember, attraction is being attracted to some value that we see in another person. It might be their beauty, it might be their virtue, it might be their personality, who knows? But there's some value we see. And when we get caught up in the sentimentality, we overstate that value. Does that make sense? I have a personal example of this. When it was before, long before I met Peggy. Actually, I was a junior in high school, <laughs> and I met this girl, who was a year older than I was, at a dance, and uh, and we started to date, and I had this thing. I mean, she was cute. She was Italian. She was, uh, you know. She was, I really liked her, okay? And then I was hearing things about, I mean, I asked her to my prom, you know, the junior prom, and somebody said, and I got word that she was really excited to be going with me to this junior prom. So in my little mind, I had us married with kids. <laughs> I had this whole thing worked out in my head. 
and I couldn't even drive at that point. <laughs> and then my whole world collapsed the following fall when she had graduated, she had moved on in her life, and I wanted to invite her to our senior ring dance. And she said no. And I was crushed. And I actually, a few years later, I was, I was in uh, college and I was training with the Navy and I, I wrote a letter to her from a ship. And I said, I really want to, is there any way we can get back together again or have one more date or whatever? And she, she wrote back and said, yeah. And I got all excited again. And I went out with her and I realized it was nothing. There was nothing in common. There was nothing beyond this emotional attraction thing. And it was the most freeing thing to say goodbye to her and say, okay, you know, and I've never seen her again. <laughs> so when the... When the, let's not get into it. We don't have time to get into all that. When the person doesn't, when the real person doesn't live up to this exaggerated ideal image, we get really disillusioned, okay? And some of you may have already had that kind of an experience, but it's no fun. And it, using an example from high school, I think, was really good because we can all look back at those things that happened to us in high school and see how dumb we were, right? <laughs> the point is they still happen. For, that Just because we're older doesn't necessarily mean we're any less prone to letting sentimentality take over. We might do it in a smarter way. We might choose a better person. But sentimentality is very powerful. Real love takes that sentimentality and that sensuality both. Because if you don't have both of those things going on in the relationship, it's probably not very much fun anyway. But, you know, there has to be those qualities happening. But they should all be incorporated into something much fuller and deeper. Love is actually a virtue, not a feeling. Love is actually a choice we make. It's not a feeling. We tend to think of it as a feeling. But what we need to do when we really think we love someone is consider the character of the other person. Is that person, does that person have the character that we want in someone we're going to spend the rest of our life with? And we have to look at the relationship honestly too. Is this an equal partnership? Do I have respect for them? Do they have respect for me? Do we treat each other the way we should? Your emotions have to be checked out by something objective, some truth. You know? And if you need help, ask your best friend what she thinks or what he thinks. Or ask your parents what they see. You know, Because other people might see things that you don't because you're blinded by the sentimentality. So, given that you're all probably people of faith, you have some sort of a prayer life, this is where you really need to pray. Now, I see you writing things down. Some of this is going to be on a handout, particularly these next few things I'm going to give. But there are some key questions that you can ask yourself about the other person and about the relationship, okay? And you want to do, like Peggy said, you want to get help with this. You want to, because you, you know, you want somebody, an outside opinion, 
a third party to come in and give you a reality check on this stuff. But ask yourself prayerfully, does this person really have the qualities and the virtues that I'm attracted to? See? Is it really them? Or have I just manufactured this stuff in my head because I really want that to happen so badly? You see? Um, Secondly, are we really as good a fit for one another as I feel we are? You see, this is the sentimentality rearing its ugly head, you see. Oh, wow, you know, we just are so compatible and we're just so this and so that. And really all it is is we like to go to Padres games together, you know. Or we like to dance or we like to, I don't know, whatever, you know. So are we really as good a fit as we think we are or as I think we are? And a good fit doesn't mean we're exactly alike. That's probably not a good fit. God tends to put people together who are a little bit different so that we can challenge each other and sort of push each other to grow. Are we a good fit means are we making each other better people through our relationship? Then the third question is, is he or she truly worthy of all my trust? See, this has to do with the character of the other person. If the guy is a creep, you know, if he's dishonest and if he's just using you and he's just, and, and, you, and you see how he treats his mother and his brothers and sisters and, you know, you see how he is on the road with other people and you start to think, this guy's kind of a creep. Lose him. <laughs> Get out of there quick because <laughs> he ain't going to treat you any better, you see? Um... And then the last question that you want to prayerfully consider is, is there a problem in our relationship that I'm overlooking? See? Is there something that I'm sort of, it's sort of lurking in the background that, gee, I wonder, I don't think we're really on the same page about this, but I'm scared to death to bring this up. That's a sign that there's something to miss here, and it's not what you really think it is. So... Those are the kind of things you want to look at. Because real love, you know, the real thing, is not just attraction to the other. It's certainly not just good feelings, but it's being concerned with what is best for the other person. And that has to be mutual. You don't want to be in a situation where you just, you know, you feel that way about the other person. You're so concerned about their... By the way, the girl I was telling you about, she couldn't care less about me. <laughs> I mean, I had this thing all blown up in my head, but, you know, I was like a rodent. <laughs> I mean, so it has to be mutual. You're looking out for the other person, and you sense that they're looking out for you. And there has to be some basis, some evidence for that. See, the world emphasizes the subjective aspect of love, the stuff we've been talking about, sensuality, and sentimentality. And it has its place, but it's not the fullness of love. The objective aspect of love is what is essential. And it goes beyond both the sensuality and the sentimentality. So real love is characterized by at least three things. Growth in virtue, friendship, and the pursuit of the common good. Not a common activity, but the common good for the two of you. Second, 
a selfless pursuit of what is best for the other. And third, it has to be rooted in reality about the other person, who they really are, and about the relationship itself, whether it is a utilitarian, a pleasant, or a virtuous friendship. And he has this line in here that I think is really important. True love is an, obj is, is an interpersonal fact. You all know what a fact is, right? A fact is something that's objective. It's clear. Anybody can look at it and they can say, that's it. So it's a fact, and it's an interpersonal fact. It's about the two of you. It is a fact. <laughs>